0: The show you need to get what you desire by avoiding the mistakes made by others before you. Learn the stories and journeys of what success looks like to find the freedom you deserve while thriving with your best life. And now I present to you the one, the only Rapid Results with Andrew Wise. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Rapid Results with Andrew Weiss. We got an amazing, incredible guest today, D. Scott Smith, who's also tuning in from Oregon, my uh, home state. So representing. And for those who don't know much about D. Scott Smith, he is a collaborator sitting in the juncture of strategy and execution. He's known as a motivational listener. He's a speaker, coach, mentor who will inspire and motivate you. He works with businesses and individuals across the county. Scott is the author of Publications, Relationships, Grow Your Business, A Method and Process for Networking, the author of Motivational Listener, Be Interesting by Being Interested, and also along with that title is Practical Skills to Be Successful at Business Networking Events, and he's the co-author of Isolation, the Health and Wellness Business Killer. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Scott Smith. <laughs>
1: Andrew what fun to hang out with you man thanks for the opportunity to join you on your show and hi to everybody that is watching on LinkedIn and Facebook hey
0: eh? hello hello so I'm very excited to dive in here because as you can hear from the intro Scott is an expert at networking at businesses at mentorship at just living life the right way he's got the amazing family dynamics amazing spiritual dynamics business dynamics so with that said we oh, want to gosh. hear that. well as you should be as you should be we want to hear the the entrepreneur story of you so tell us more about you know where you grew up in and some of the first things you were proud of as a kid in about five minutes or less
1: yeah i uh so i did grow up in oregon in corvallis oregon i was born in southern california and you might notice some disneyland stuff we if i were to pull back my grandfather uh, my grandparents actually on my mom's side immigrated from mexico and my grandfather, uh, he was working as a migrant worker and then heard about this job, applied and got hired as a gardener in Disneyland about a year before the park opened. Wow. And so uh, we're a Disney family. My mom went to Orange High. My dad went to Anaheim High and they met at Disneyland. Oh, Disneyland. oh. <laughs> uh, my mom's brother, my uncle, uh, after the Marine Corps. He uh, came up to Oregon, to Corvallis, to go to Oregon State University to uh, enroll in the civil engineering program and then run track. So when my dad got out of the Army, he was looking for a job. My uncle helped him get a job here, and then my dad ended up enrolling in Oregon State University. I went to Oregon State University. We are a beaver family. And, <laughs> uh, and Andrew, by the way, is a graduate of the University of Oregon, the Ducks. And ducks and beavers, uh, that's why God invented the platypus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> when I grew up here, I knew from a young age, uh, from probably at least a sixth grade, that I was going to go into business. And my dream was to uh, go to Oregon State University, study business, and eventually start my own business. I knew that part of that path would take me through the corporate world. And I have no regrets. I worked for some big companies. Bank of America and Hewlett-Packard, and there's a ton of experience that you get through there, a lot of opportunities. And then you have the opportunity to, uh, if you want, to jump on your own. I will say that the entrepreneurial journey is not for everyone. As I say often, when you jump into this world, you become the see everything. You're the chief executive officer, the chief marketing officer, the chief financial officer, and so forth a friend of mine said oh scott did you say the see everything the s e e everything i said (laughs) yeah that works too as an employee in a company you have a defined role and you might be the salesperson and you're out there hunting them down someone else designed the product somebody else delivers the product and services it someone else makes sure that invoices are sent out and the taxes are paid and all of that stuff but when you jump into the entrepreneurial world you have to be willing to do all of those things. Your name is on it. And whether you jump into a, try to be a big company or a small
0: company, you're the C everything. I love that. I love that. So that's crazy that you knew you wanted to be involved in business at uh, sixth grade, even though your parents were were Disney parents. (laughs) And I don't think very many entrepreneurs come from disney just because it is a you know a very corporate world and like yeah. so easy to caught up in the magic like what what else is better than working for disney kind of thing <laughs> but but tell us more about yeah your your entrepreneur journey from your first official entrepreneur endeavor like did you sell chips at recess in 6th grade all the way up to where you are now, we'd love to hear the full entrepreneur journey in about yeah, five minutes and just kind yeah. of hear and feel free to brag as much as you want along that path.
1: <laughs> well, I will say that really my entrepreneurial journey started as a entrepreneurial journey. And so that term generally refers to where you're working inside of a company, but you're creating new businesses or you're running segments as if it was your own business. Yeah, that that that's really where it started. Now, as a kid, you know, I mean, I had Smith Inc. and Flames Unlimited, and these were my fictional organizations. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, I had this dream about that. And so, when I got into into the business world after I, I graduated and I got into banking, I was interested in every aspect of it. And so I didn't just go in, do my job, clock out and go home. I was heavily into the, so my undergraduate was in finance. And so I'm, I get back in those days, we had fanfold bar paper out of computers that printed out the general ledger. And so every month I would get this one inch stack of paper that was my general ledger for the business. And so I was going through all of that stuff because the math has to work, right? It's always whatever business that you go into, the math has to work. And the business model is how do you make money and what does it cost you to make that money? Mm No matter, I mean, it's the simplest form of a business model. And so I was looking at it from that perspective. And when I was working at Pacific First Bank, which was a smaller bank, we actually had what was called the franchise manager program. And it was basically just a set of data that you could look at and run your branch as if it was a, an individual franchise of Pacific First Bank. And I mean, I'm looking at all the sales and all the metrics that went into it, all the sources of revenue, all the costs that went in into that. And because I would did that, it was, it gave me. A flavor for those kind of bigger numbers. Now, when I was in college, I started off, I was working for my stepfather who was a CPA. And so I did taxes for four years for a lot of small businesses. And when you get into the nitty gritty of the numbers, again, math has to work. I learned a lot about different businesses. And then in banking, of course, I worked with hundreds of small businesses there. And through both of those journeys in accounting and in banking, I met a lot of people that were running businesses, and there were some people that I met that you could tell it didn't matter what industry they're in, what the economy was doing, they could run a business. And then I met other people that had no business being in business. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They should just, and as I said at the beginning, it's not for everyone. It's a very different skill set. And you also have to be willing to accept ambiguity because things change. And if that is something that you're not ready for, if you like to get up and make coffee the same way and drive to the office on the same route and everything's predictable, entrepreneurship is going to be a really difficult world for you. Mm -hmm. And so uh, through those, I really learned a lot about small business and then, Really, in 2007, I left Hewlett-Packard and got involved in some turnarounds for a couple of small businesses and was able to rescue some of those. And it was applying all of those skills. So then about nine years ago, when I went independent, I was able to, again, translate all of those skills that I had developed in the accounting, banking, manufacturing, got into low-tech from high tech to low tech manufacturing, agriculture, all of these things—they come to play. And there's a thread that runs through it, and it's people and process. Whether it was financial services or agriculture, high tech, uh, low tech manufacturing—it's all people and process. Mm.
0: I love that. So, so you learned entrepreneur skills while being an entrepreneur inside the company you learned about making sure you're actually making money making sure you're not spending too much money and so tell us more about your endeavors after you left uh, the corporate life i know you got involved with book publishing with the online courses with consulting uh, tell us about those journeys
1: yeah so really what happened was i was working as a ceo for a small agricultural company, specialty agriculture, and we manage soil microbiology. So we had a lab, did testing, and so forth. And then whenever you do any testing, there's always a remediation phase, right? So what the results are, now you want to change something. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, why do the testing, right? Uh, you're either validating or you're looking to change. and mineralize change. So uh, they were selling soil amendments. So we had to we were reselling other people's products, which is a stinky business model, because mm. now you're only competing on price, right? Mm. So, you know, someone calls up and they're like, hey, I can get it at dime cheaper somewhere else. And you're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> With a terrible business model, right? Yeah. So we leveraged, uh, I leveraged a lab. We developed a proprietary soil amendment products, but the company didn't have a lot of money. So we had to learn how to market without spending money. And so I really got involved in social media. And so this was uh, back around 2010 is when I really started learning how to market and build community Mm -hmm. online. And so we were doing webinars, uh, we were doing web training to teach people how to read their soil reports and amend their soils and so forth. And then the business model was this, I sold people a bottle of goop. They took it outside, took the lid off, poured it on the ground, and came in and ordered more, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the more times they did that, the better we did. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason they were going to do that was because their business was better. We were selling uh, a lot of products to landscapers. And uh, so I started t- training them on how to market their business with social oh, media. Mm-hmm. So their sales would go up, so they'd buy more bottles of goop from us, right? Yeah. And so then uh, after I left that company, I was an uh, interim general manager for a upholstered furniture company uh, for six months. And uh, we were selling mainly to Ikea. And my goal was really to set that company up for Ikea to come in and manage it. And yeah. when that gig ended, I was looking for my next role. And a friend of mine was on the board with the radio station. And she said, hey, Scott, I just got of a board meeting. The general manager needs help. With social media. And so I met with him and he he hired me to do social media management and some other digital marketing, but mainly social media management. And within uh, a month, there were three companies that had contracted me to run social media for him. Wow. <laughs> I, told my wife, I guess it's a business now. <laughs> yeah. But. Back then, and this is like I said, this is about nine years ago, and I, I knew I didn't want to do social media management for the rest of my career. And so kind of going on a personal retreat, really examining what it is I wanted to do. And so what my plan was then to go from social media management to digital marketing and specifically running ads. So Google, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, digital ads. For Mm -hmm. businesses and then move from digital marketing into more consulting and then finally into coaching and so consulting is really looking at what needs to be done and helping them implement things coaching is more of encouraging people to be better at what they are and kind of peeling back those things so you know how do you monetize those types of things well i do the the uh, social media management and digital marketing as a um, on a um, retainer basis, a scope of deal on a scope of work, mm-hmm. and then with coaching and consulting. Now you really started to look at how do you grow your influence there, and so being a published author is one of those things. And in my case, I didn't want just one stream of income, just digital marketing or whatever. So I look at a number of different. Uh, Opportunities to do that. So publishing a book, creating a podcast. Now, some of these things like starting the podcast and actually publishing my first book, I was working with clients and telling them, look, podcasts are great. They're an excellent way to get your message out and share your knowledge and position yourself as an expert in this field. And so I created a podcast to show them, look, it's not that hard to do. Then I wrote a book and published a book to show, look, it's not that hard to do. Now I had valuable information to put into that, of course. And mm-hmm. so the first book was Motivational Listener. Be interesting by being interested, a practical guide to being successful to business networking events. It is a full <laughs> title. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. anyway, so these are the things that I did to uh, start generating revenue and created a course. And actually what happened is, is I gave a talk at a social media summit in Dublin, Ireland, titled The Psychology and Physiology of Relationships. And here's an interesting point, side note, uh, that was 2016. And I actually went through and approved, I looked at the academic research and proved that the relationships that we create digitally can be just as strong as those that we create face-to-face. Now, the whole... Pandemic and the shutdown, the lockdown, the limitation of travel and the increase of video conferences. Uh, it's been a lab for two years that has proved that talk true that relationships that we create digitally can be just as strong as those that we create face to face. So I took that talk, the psychology and physiology of relationships, turned it into a course, turned the course into a book. And now one of the things that I do is I help other entrepreneurs capture their knowledge and put it into a book. So we have uh, Influence the Creation of Credibility, which is a, um, it uses the PIP method because you have to have an acronym, Mm -hmm. publish, instruct, and promote. And so in 90 days or less, you publish on Amazon, you create a video course to support that because when you sell on Amazon, they don't give you the names and email address of the people who buy it. Mm -hmm. But in the book, you put a link to a video course that's gated, so you capture their email, and it gives them a win, connects your face and voice to that win, and allows you to capture their email, and then promote. And so I'm an influencer on Amazon, so I can go live video into Amazon. And so I take those authors, and essentially we do a webinar, a one-hour webinar on Amazon so now when they're out talking with prospective clients or they're looking to get on stages, they can say, look, I'm a published author. I've got this video course that supports it and you can watch me on Amazon. So that's a persistent video that's out there. So they can always link to it. And it's a very small number of authors that have that to add to their credibility. And, and Amazon is huge. You know, the world is run by Facebook, Google and Amazon. So, as an entrepreneur, you want to learn how do you leverage those platforms to make money for yourself.
0: I love that. I love that. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll dive into those uh, multiple income sources in a little bit. And for those listening, so what are, what are all the things that you're currently involved in? So you're currently doing consulting, social media management, and you have a virtual events business, you have an online course, you have a book. It sounds like you need multiple hands to count all your current income streams, but are you able to <laughs> think of them at the top of your head? Yeah. So the digital marketing. So I've got
1: a number of clients that I work with there, both local and national accounts. And so digital marketing for them. We have the live stream program, the experience live with Russ and Scott. And that's every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific time. And that also streams on, on, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook and YouTube. And, uh, so we have sponsors for that. So we generate revenue from sponsors for that show and then of course the uh, the books books generally aren't going to be a big revenue stream for you They're really is to say a thick business card and so that's really where you you want to use that as a as a leverage into other areas and then i of course i'm doing live streaming on amazon and i've partnered up with some different uh, publishers and uh, author marketing groups And so authors can actually pay to get onto the program to promote their books. And then I do get affiliate income from sales that are related to that as well. So those are some of the streams. Yeah. The courses, membership sites. These are a couple of different things that we've got going on. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then the conferences. And so we're creating conferences and fundraisers for nonprofit organizations. So those have been really successful, and so those are, those are the major things.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's super exciting. So if someone's listening and they're like, Scott, how can I be like you and have multiple streams of income? Like, How do you start from scratch? Do you spend five minutes on social media and five minutes on a virtual event business and five minutes on a book? Or how do you go about tackling multiple streams of income?
1: Yeah, so what I've really done is I went through, and I'm a big fan of time blocking. And I think you've probably talked about that before uh, with folks. But it's really making sure that you are in control of your calendar. And as an entrepreneur, it is one of the biggest challenges. There are things like that we hear like shiny object syndrome. So you're constantly chasing things. But one of the things that I remember was some of the best advice I had going into college was from my dad. And he said, son, treat college like a job. Work eight to five, don't work nights, don't work weekends. And when you think about it, when you're in college, at the university, you maybe had four or five courses, but probably four solid courses that you're taking, and then maybe an elective of some sort. So if you were in class for three or four hours a day, that's a full load of class, right? Mm -hmm. Now, out of an eight-hour day, that's going to give you three to four hours worth of study time. Mm -hmm. So you go to class and once you start class at seven or eight in the morning, don't quit until it's eight hours later. So now if you've studied during those eight hours, if you read the book, did your homework, you're already ahead of everyone else in your class, right? Mm -hmm. And then you're not doing all-nighters. You're not working on the weekends, right? So as an entrepreneur, it's the same thing. You get up, you go to work, whatever your time is, you know, I'm an early riser. So I get up, and I can work for two, three, four hours. And honestly, I can get more done than an employee going into an office and, uh, taking off the jacket and hanging it up and greeting all the people and doing, you know, I'm not saying that those social things aren't bad or aren't good, but, uh, you know, have their place, but you need to be disciplined. And so, uh, make sure you, Take control of your time. So what I did, and this is what I do when I work with people, is we create the ideal week. So if you can batch things up, like for me, Mondays are meeting days. I schedule a lot of meetings because it's hard to go from the creative thinking, deep thinking, into a meeting and then back into it and jump back and forth. So if, you just, if I just go Monday, meeting, 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 meeting and realize I'm not going to get anything done. I'm not going to create anything, mm-hmm. and then and so forth. And I go through the whole week. And basically what I've done is Fridays I've blocked off completely. And if you looked at my calendar, it said protect for the things that need to be done. Mm. Now it could be that I just want a day off, want to <laughs> hang out. It could be that I've got some meetings that I need to do or some production work for clients that I need to do. Those are all valid things that I can do during that but I don't have any regularly scheduled things. And then I have long blocks where I can just do production and think, and I protect those times and won't allow scheduling on there. Now I do meet, you know, I do a lot of networking and I meet with people. And one of the things that I found evaluating the fourth quarter of last year was that I was just meeting with people whenever it was convenient for them. And it was chunking up the time and I wasn't getting those long blocks of deep thought. And so I limited meeting new people to two days a month. And so I blocked those times out. And now I can focus in on meeting people like spending time with Andrew, because Andrew is a part of my network. You're part of the my intimate, my active network. And so this way, new people are being introduced, but they're not stealing time from my business and thought. So really controlling that time and putting it into your digital calendar or your paper planner, or what I do is I have a combination of both. And I do have my own planner that I created and sell that as well. But that's uh, one of the things is being very protective of the time and then making sure that what I'm doing is aligned to my goals.
0: I love that. And do you have themes for the other days of the week? Do you have a theme for Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday?
1: Yeah. So if we go through and I, I can actually show you the, um, so I have a, I have a, I have it on a spreadsheet, (laughs) but this is the, this is the way it looks. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Tuesday is mostly production. Wednesday, I've got some, uh, standing meetings and then I also have blocked out time there for, for meetings or doing like live video shows, like Amazon live. And then uh, Thursday, I've got one scheduled, regularly scheduled event, and the rest of it is production time. Mm. So it's really between meetings and production is really kind of the two major categories.
0: I love that. And you brought up networking and the importance of that. So definitely want to make sure we can dive into that. So when it comes to networking, I know a lot of people are like, I don't want to network. I'm not good at meeting people. I'm too shy. No one ever likes me. Blah, blah, blah. So what do most people get wrong or how are their perceptions misconstrued when it comes to networking, in your opinion? Yeah,
1: so from early on, you know, we're all told networking is important. If you want to be successful, then you need to network. And the phrase is something like, it's not what you know, but who you know. And really, that phrase should be amended to say it's not who you know, but it's who knows you. So who's willing to answer your, you know, open and answer your emails, take your phone calls, read your texts and so forth. So they, they say, Oh, Andrew's contacting me. I'll take that call. So it's who knows you. Now we really misconstrue what networking is. We think networking is going to events and handing out business cards and prospecting. That is one activity, but that's not what networking is. And in fact, if you were to Google up, networking or business networking networking tips hundreds of thousands of articles and not to dump on the authors but most of them were commissioned to write an article on networking because they're good writers they're researchers and good writers and they're paid by the word so this is pretty common but mainly what they're going to tell you is common sense stuff like you need to choose the right events in building your network it's quality over quantity and listen more than you talk follow up on your commitments and i'm like these are things we learned in grade school this is not overly helpful and then they might have told you hey andrew if you want to be successful networking man you want to be successful in business you need to learn to play golf well there's nothing magical about the golf course (laughs) right it's just people with a common interest spending time together that's what networking is And so what does that mean? Well, some people say, in fact, I read this article that says the opening line said extroverts are natural networkers, which is absolutely not true. Being an extrovert or being an introvert and nobody is exactly one or the other. There's a continuum that we're on. Some people are more extroverted or more introverted, but we need both. And it's all about where you get energy. Do you get energy by being in groups of people and engaging with a lot of people and maybe having a lot of attention placed on you? Or would you rather be by yourself or in small groups or with a one-on-one? And that's where you get energy, right? It has nothing to do with networking. So, and in fact, I'm giving you a link to uh, where people can download a free copy of Relationships Grow Your Business, which is a method and process for networking. And in there, I lay out a structure It doesn't require you to be an extrovert, and it is not limited by being an introvert. And in fact, most networking is the work of an introvert. It is spending time on your computer or handwriting notes or meeting one-to-one with people or having one-to-one conversations. It's not jumping into big rooms or playing golf. So just briefly, let me lay out the structure that you have an extended network that's thousands of people. I got 2,800 people in my LinkedIn connections. I don't know 2,800 people. Robin Dunbar, sociologist from England, says we can manage about 150 relationships. So I take people through an exercise where we go through all of their LinkedIn contacts in a spreadsheet. And within the spreadsheet, eliminate the people they don't know and wouldn't do business with. And we bring it down to what's called the active network. And when we do that, we're going to go from thousands to about 100 to 120 people. Every time I've done this and worked with people, that's the number. Now, within that active network, there's five defined roles. There's mentors and advisors, the people you turn to for help, for advice. You've got mentees, because everyone should be giving back. Customers, obviously a part of your network, great source of repeat business and referrals. Then you have advocates. These are the people who actually promote you and will send referrals to you. And they'll stand up publicly and put their reputation on the line. And the largest group of people you have are partners. and people. Partners are people who solve problems that you don't solve, but allow you to add value into your network. It might be, I need a web designer. Hey, Andrew, do you know somebody to do web? And you don't do web, but you know somebody or a graphic designer or someone to help me launch a podcast. I know I can come to Andrew because he knows the people. It's not something you do, but you add value into the network. So within that chain, that graphic designer is a partner for you. They're solving a problem you don't solve. From that graphic designer, you're their advocate because you're promoting them. right? And part of the reason we hate networking is we think we're going to go to business networking events, and it's going to be two hours of bad hors d'oeuvres and hard sell. We don't go in with the right expectations. So now that I have a structure, I know the roles of my active network. Now I'm going to the network. I'm going to meet people that are going to fall into my extended network. And that's it. They just fall in there. I might be looking specifically for that graphic designer. So I'm looking for a partner. That's a whole different attitude than walking in there going, all right, who am I going to sell, right? Doesn't mean that you're not going to find customers there. If you find someone and you solve their problem, let them hire you, you know? I mean, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're going there with a very specific reason. This makes online and in-person networking events much more palatable because now you're going with a purpose. And the last thing, and then I'll take a breath, is that, said that attractive people are more successful. That's a crap. That's bad. <laughs> <laughs> but the research also says that confident people are more attractive. So if we go back to our high school math, if we said A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C, confident people are more successful. Now you're going to go into that networking event, whether it's online or it's in person, you're going in with a purpose and confidence. If you know what you're going to do, you will be more attractive and therefore you will be more successful.
0: I love that. I love that. You touched on so many great points. I'm taking lots of notes here. and. I know the tricky thing about networking, as you mentioned, is, you know, based on networking, I've learned is that you go to networking event, you want to listen, you want to provide value, but you do bring up a good point too, that it is also possible to get clients. And so what if someone is like, I'm a social media manager, I need to find clients today, I'm going to go to networking event, looking to get someone to hire me to get a new client what would you tell that person to, how would they go about approaching it without scaring people off and saying, whoa, 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 like, I'm not ready to pay you, I just met you kind of thing. Like, how would you, what advice would you give that person?
1: Well, so the first thing is, is that our best clients come from referrals. Now, and I'm talking about, it depends on your business model. Now, if you're a coach or a consultant or an accountant or a type of business that has a finite capacity, then business networking is likely the best source of business. For you. If you're selling an online course where people just sign in and watch videos, then paid advertising because you need hundreds or thousands of people to go through that program. But for most of us that are solo entrepreneurs, freelance professionals, or small businesses with, say, up to 20 employees, we have a finite capacity. And so uh, getting business through our network is the best way. So the first thing that I tell people with business networking is and people say, oh, I can't network because it's a pandemic and it's a lockdown. I can't do trade shows and stuff. I said, look, you already have a fabulous network filled with remarkable people who want you to succeed. They just need to know what problem you solve and who your customer is. Now, go through that exercise. And then so people can download the Relationships Grow Your Business. And in there, there's a link to a video A set of videos so that you can do this, but download it, break your network down from the extended to the active network, identify who those people are in your, in your network and contact your advocates. Now, out of that 100 to 120 people, you only only have six to 12 advocates, but contact them. These are the people that send you referrals and say, this is the problem I solve. And this is my ideal customer. And that's how you're going to get business. Before you walk into any networking event, lean into your network now. And now when you're going to the network event, I'm not looking for customers. I'm looking for people to add to my extended network and then see if they fall into an, a role within my active network. And then within the active network, there's a defined time of how often you contact them. And it's all in the, it's all in relationships grow your business.
0: I love that. I and mean, when you go to these networking events, how do you get to decide What category each person goes to? Like, how do you decide? Oh, this person could be an advocate. This person could be a partner. This person could be this category. How do you decide which category each person goes into?
1: Yeah, so you're not defining that at that time. So if I if I just met you the very first time, then you go into my extended network. And so, also on my website, there's a I think I gave you the link as well that people can download the networking events cheat sheet. And so, there's six steps, and this is based on the book motivational listener be interesting by being interested. The first half of that book is the brain science about how we connect. And then the second half really lays out the six steps on how you actually connect to people. And the final step, the sixth step in that. Now this doesn't mean that every person that you meet at a networking event, whether in person or online is someone that you're going to follow up with. Because as you go through that six step process, you're going to learn about that person. You're going to learn about their business and you're going to see, is this person a potential to fall into one of the five categories? And if so, then schedule a meeting with them and follow up. And I'm also not a fan of elevator pitches because mm-hmm. elevator pitches are like auto responders. What do you do? And then it's just this, like this well-rehearsed, well-polished wordsmith using first-to-market novel techniques never seen before. Blah blah blah, top level customer service. You no, know, I don't care. Right. <laughs> so what happens is, is when you have that follow-up meeting, now I've learned about Andrew. I know what kind of businesses you're involved in. I know what kind of problems you solve. I have an idea about the type of network that you have. Now I'm gonna get together and go, oh, look, Andrew's involved with Podfast, he's doing these things on the entrepreneurial work. Now I can come to you and go, here's the opportunities that we have, that I have to offer. But it's tailored to you, to what your needs are. It's not just spouting off what I do. So you need to lean into your network, that your existing network, they want you to succeed. But refine, what's the problem you solve? And who is your ideal customer? And let your advocates know so that they can promote you. And then when you go to those networking events, I'm not deciding right away. I know you're going to go into my extended network. After we meet, maybe, you know, if I've got a spot for you, I'll put you in. But you're now making a commitment, right? If you're a mentor or advisor, I'm probably going to meet with you every week. If you're an advocate, I'm probably going to meet with you at least once a month. If you're a partner, it's probably once or twice a year, right? Because I just need to know what services you add and how it fits. And so I can keep that fresh. But... Uh, one of those google articles that you might have found for business networking said you need to contact three to five people every day well who is it well it's the people in your active network now we've got a structure now we know who to contact and that's how you're going to
0: get your business i love that i love that and i know that is a top mistake that people make as people think oh i have to meet more people I have to meet more people and it sounds like what you're saying is, well, what about the people you already know? What about reaching out to them and building a better relationship with them? Is, is, that, is that what I'm hearing?
1: You know, it's just like they say, it, it costs more to get a new customer than to retain your existing ones. Mm-hmm. This is like, it's the same thing. Maintain your existing network. And I guarantee you that your network has more business than you can handle right now. But let people know what problem you solve. And who your ideal customer is. And specifically, your advocates. I'm not saying walk up to every person you know and say, this is what problem I solve. This is what I solve for. Go to your advocates. These are the people who will stand up for you publicly and promote you. Who send referrals to you. And just because they're sending referrals to you doesn't mean you need to reciprocate. That you need to send referrals back to them. This is another mistake. Is misdefining the roles. So if you have that web designer and you say, oh yeah, Scott, let me hook you up with my web designer, my graphic designer role, or a person to produce a podcast for you, you should not be expecting that they're going to in turn send business to you because they've fulfilled their role of allowing you to add value in your network. And so we just need to understand what those roles are. And again, it takes the pressure off. You know, I'm not just trying to sell everyone or I'm not uh, beating people into well, how come you haven't sent referrals to me? I send referrals to you. It's not
0: their role. And tell us more about that perspective of of person because humans are naturally altruistic people. So if you came to me and said, Hey, Andrew, do you know anyone who um, needs help with the social media marketing? From your perspective, why does it benefit me if I give you a referral and then kind of call it good? How come there isn't any like, quote unquote, guilt involved? Like, oh, I have to repay him back now for him sending me a referral kind of thing. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, the point is that, again, let's just take you as that person in the center of your network. Mm-hmm. And someone comes to you asking for help, right? They go, I'm going to come to Andrew because Andrew is a helpful person. Because when I need that web designer, graphic uh, person, whatever, right? When I need somebody, I go to Andrew. He can either help me or he knows who, right? So those people in your network, and this is your active and extended network, your value as a contact goes up. Mm. And so uh, we can think of it as paying, paying it forward. Maybe that's the phrase to use, but really you're just adding value in your network. I always go to Andrew. He either can help me or he knows somebody that can help me. Mm. And eventually, and networking is a long game, right? We're not talking about about getting sales today. That can happen. But you're building relationships. There was nothing magical about the golf course. It was people with a common interest spending time together. And eventually, it said, hey, I know this person has the problem you solve. Let me connect you up. And this is the same thing that you're doing in your network. You're connecting with people who have a common interest, spending time with them, building those relationships, and giving yourself the opportunity. So your value is higher. More people will come to you. More people are going to be referring to you because even if it's not for the problem that you solved for which you get paid, they're still going to come to you and go, hey, Scott was saying Andrew is the guy to talk to about this, right? Right. Now you're talking to potential prospects, and your network goes gets bigger because we said uh, Robin Dunbar's rule says we can manage about 150 relationships. These are personal relationships, mm-hmm. uh, in business relationships. 150, they all have 150, right? Multiply that out. That's people who have direct experience with you. Multiply that out again because they all have 150 people who have first-hand experience of working with you. Now, they all have 150 people that have credible experience about working with you. Okay, that reach right now is about 3 million people. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, as I said, your existing network has more people in it, more business in it than you can serve. You just need to be intentional about managing your extended to your active network to those roles uh, within that active network.
0: I love that. I love that. And you know, one of my favorite quotes of all time, too, is when uh, Henry Ford. I think like uh, they're asking him a question. He said, "I don't know the answer, but I do know someone who does." <laughs>
1: <laughs> See, perfect, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and, and so I'm going like,
0: Henry Ford. Yes, exactly, exactly. And so. It sounds like in your experience, I know Yeah, you're a master networker, relationship builder, connector, and you're saying, oh, yeah, Andrew, I have no problem introducing people all the time because at one, at some point, some people are going to go, wait, Scott, can I, can I pay you? And you're like, okay.
1: <laughs> and this is how it happens, right? So I get introduced to somebody who says, oh, you're doing Amazon Live? Here's a person that is marketing books. I mean, this is protecting the names, what I'm telling you. This is exactly what happened. And so, you know, I go, great. Let's schedule a little short call, introductory call. So we meet, and we talk, and then it turns out that she has an author. And so we charge that author to get paid. She makes money. I make money. And then they're having a conversation, and they're going, yeah, we really need to do some more promotion. And so then that author that we... Contacts me and says, Scott, I really wanted to, uh, this is what I want to do. And can I hire you? Right. And this was all through the network. I wasn't sending out, let me help you promote your book. I was just, help, you know, just following up on a referral, spending time. We ended up doing some business together. And now I'm doing more business. Every one of the, so it's the first of the month and I send out invoices. and." Every one of the invoices that I send out was a direct referral from someone within my network. Not one of those things was any paid prospecting or random person going, Oh, I saw your ad on YouTube or I saw you dancing on TikTok and thought I would hire you as a consultant. As great as some of those things are, all of my business has come through my network. And now here's the thing you're going to hear a lot of people. Because if you do any consulting or coaching, the social media algorithms are going to find you, and everyone's going to come to say, look, you need to do this. You need to have a podcast, and you'll make money. You need to get on stages, or you'll have money. Uh, You need to write a book, and you'll make money. The true formula there is solve a problem and present it to people who have that problem and make money. Now, having a podcast could be the way to do it. Having a speaking on stages could be a way to do it, either in-person or virtual. I can guarantee you that your network has all of that there. They just need to know. I'll say it again. What problem you solve and who your ideal customer is. And so leverage that network that you have already. And that's how you're going
0: to grow your business. Oh, This is so amazing. And thank you for dropping these golden nuggets. I love that that quote you just put that as I was going through my invoices this month, everyone was from a referral and that just speaks to your, your character, how well you do a business, how people look up to you, they trust you. And that's so true as well, that, that we trust people. We already know a lot more than people we just met. And just because we know you and I both know there's a lot of people who over promise, under deliver, there's scammers out there. And so being able to start from people who already trust you, that's definitely a good starting point. And And going back into that too, I know we talked about that people who are more attractive or more successful, but then you're like, oh, but people who are confident are also more attractive. And so A equals B equals C. So diving into the confidence aspect of things, how can people be more confident when they're reaching out to the network or going to networking meetings? How can they develop that skill? Yeah. So one of the things I have is I do have a program. I don't know if I've
1: got... Yeah. So... The Motivational Listener Professional Network System. So this is the four-phase program here, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking about this network structure, extended network, interactive network, that's really phase two. In the first phase of the four is really defining the value that you have to offer, where you fit within the ecosystem. And there's a lot of coaches out there that talk about mindset. And there's a reason for that because... Some people will walk into networking event and wonder why they're there. Mm -hmm. So when I walked into San Diego at the convention center and it's social media marketing world, and there's 5,000 of the world's best social media marketers there. And I look around and I go, how can I compete, right? Well, the reason I'm there is because I have something to offer. And so first of all, understand that you're at that networking event or you're that person reached out to you because you have something to offer. There's a value that you have. So we go through that. There's a process. We've got the value wheel where you you really look at, you know, what's the unique value that you have? Who's your customer? What's your business model? And how do you deliver those services? And so we start lining those things out so that we're going, what problem is it that you're solving? That you can communicate to people. And who is that ideal customer? This goes back to the whole premise because again, you're going to see these messages that say that promise $10,000 months, right? That's the phrase that you're going to see in these messaging or $100,000 years or six, you know, six figure years or $10,000 months. And, but what I can tell people is, is like, look, I'm the sole in- income provider for my family. My wife stopped working a paid job a year and a half ago because our son was graduating high school and he was doing online school. She's a former educator, teacher, and so she was really there to provide assistance for him. Her mother just turned 90, so she needed to be able to provide assistance for her. We have no other income coming in, but again, 100% of it has come from my network, from referrals in actively doing that. So The first phase is to realize you have something to offer. Mm,
0: I love that. I love that, and no, it's 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 so incredible. Thinking about feeling the need to compete versus understanding that, yeah, the most important thing you can do is stay on your own path. Like, do go with things at your own pace. And I know that that's so easy for us to forget. It's not you know, they say the comparison things like Mozart wrote his first symphony at eight years old. We had uh, forget the author of Frankenstein. Like, she wrote that at eighteen years old. Oprah was fired from her job at I think 28 years old. And then they go all the way up to the founder of KFC. Didn't start till he was 65 years old. <laughs> and so I love that, that aspect. Just remembering that people go at their own pace, their own timeline. Don't compare yourself to other people. And I like what you said too. That even though you're a social media marketer, going to a social media marketing world where everyone else is a social media marketer, just saying, "Okay, I am here for a reason." Like even though <laughs> there's different tiers of value and offers that we do, like I'm here for a reason. And is there anything else to help kind of reinforce that talk for yourself to help keep that reminder for yourself that you were meant to be there? Essentially,
1: you know, when uh, Steve Jobs was around, and uh, he had this great quote that said, "There really is no limit." To what you can accomplish if you realize that this world was created by people who are no smarter than you are. Wow. Right. I mean, okay. So somebody has more notoriety. They got involved sooner than you did. Maybe someone has more customers than you have. They've been at it longer than you have, or they got lucky. Right. I mean, it's these things happen, but do you solve a problem for? And this is, you need to take the time to understand this is do you solve someone's problem? And this is advice I give to people too when they're looking at saying, maybe they're working for a company and they're looking at starting a side gig. They want to start their on their entrepreneurial journey, but they don't know where to start. And they say, look, think back over the last few months. Where is it that someone called up and said, hey, Andrew, can you help me with, and then fill in the blank. And then you helped them. They came to you because you solved the problem. They asked for your help because you have knowledge that they didn't have. You had expertise. That they didn't have. Now ask yourself: Do other people get paid to do this? If so, now you got a basis for a business, right? And so, if I said, "Hey, Andrew, I want to learn how to promote a podcast, and you help me," do people get paid to do that? Absolutely. So now you have a business. And uh, you know, it was funny. I was uh, this was a, a number of years ago. I, I'm in a conference and had spoken, and the, a lady came up to me and she said, "Oh, I really loved your talk and And so I'm asking her these questions and she tells me that she is working at this university and particular university and would like to be a speaker on live streaming video. So I asked her Louisa was her name. I said, Louisa, what is it going to take for you to be speaker on live streaming video? And she kind of listed off certain things that she saw as validations or credentials or some sort of, of credibility. Right. And I said, look, What you really need to do is the next time someone says, Louisa, what do you do? You say, I am a speaker on live streaming video. Mm -hmm. Two-day conference. The next day, this is the first day. The next day, she comes up and tells me that she got hired by her university to be a speaker on live streaming video. Because they were having a conference coming up, and she was talking to them. And they said, oh, Louisa, what do you do? She said, well, I am a speaker on live streaming video. And they said, is there any way you would be able to come and speak at our conference? <laughs> <laughs> she said, yes, And so a lot of it is just saying, who are you and what problem do you solve? And just believe that and things happen.
0: I love that. I love that. And uh, definitely dropping lots of great gems today. And I want to wrap up with a few more questions here. So someone who has it all, loving family, successful business, great uh, spiritual connection, amazing friends, amazing network. What gets you personally fired up to get up each day and carpe diem?
1: <laughs> you know, it's, it's a number of years ago, I was going to fill in as a teacher in the Sunday school class for the high school students. And so uh, to kind of get an idea of where they were at, you know, I went and sat in on there. And as we were sitting there, part of the discussion came up to where do you see God? And common answer to that is, oh, you know, when I go into the mountains, when I go to the Rocky Mountains and you look at the the majesty and the power of the mountains, that's where I see God. Or I go to the ocean and it's just vast and deep and that's where I see God. Or maybe it's in a, a newborn infant laughing, right? In that smile of a newborn. That's... And so they asked me. In the book of John, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. And the Greek of that is logos for word. So the Greek interpretation of the word logos meant an order to the universe. And so Logos is the uh, logi that we get, that we put at the end of biology, psychology, right? It's the order to the brain. It's the order to physical creation and so forth, geology, whatever. So we could say that in the beginning, there was an order to the universe, and the order to the universe was with God and was God. And so what fires me up is when I see that path from our current state to that future state. So if I'm working with an individual and we're going, okay, here's what we want to do, but here's where we want to be. And then you start seeing how things flow from one to the other. When you solve that problem, when you bring an order to that chaos, to me, that is the most enlightening moment, most energizing moment when you see how it all comes together.
0: Oh, it's, it's beautiful. Beautiful. That's very inspiring is being able to know that you're the guy who constantly brings order to chaos and able to solve those problems. So I love that. And a few questions left is if people happen to ignore this interview, even though this was an amazing interview with lots of great information, what is like the one takeaway you want people to have when it comes to getting business from from networking? So
1: my title is a motivational listener. Which is a great pattern interrupt because we hear motivational speaker a lot, but we hear motivational listener causes people to stop. And there's some brain science around why that is beneficial, why you want to have a pattern interrupt. But what I'm going to tell you, the one key thing is when people ask, Scott, what is a motivational listener? And I'll just say that, first of all, I am the world's foremost authority on being a motivational listener because I'm (laughs) the only one. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you have a copyright and
1: everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's um the goal of being a motivational listener, and I encourage people to get the book. If you want, I'll send you a PDF copy of it. You know, anyone that wants to reach out to me, you can buy it for I don't know, a couple bucks on Amazon, or I'll send you a PDF copy, depends on what you want. But in there we talk about what it means to be a motivational listener and what the steps are. And the fundamental goal of any conversation is for the speaker to leave that conversation. So if, if you, Andrew, and I are having a conversation, my goal as the motivational listener is for you to leave that conversation feeling better about yourself than before we started. That's it. That's the goal. If you can step into a conversation, whether it's online, in person, and a networking event, or just casually meeting somebody, if your goal is for that person to leave that conversation feeling better about themselves, then life will be much more fun.
0: Love that. Well, this has been so helpful Scott. Thank you so much. I'm taking a lot of notes here and those listening in too. What's the best way they they can get a hold of you if they do want to learn more about your services, how to help you, how you can help them? What's the best way to contact you?
1: Yeah, so you can go to the website dscottsmith.com. LinkedIn is a great place, dscottsmith or er, uh, yeah, just D Scott Smith. So if you go to LinkedIn.com slash in slash D you can find me, reach out. I'm an open networker, so I will connect. If you're not, if you don't look dangerous, I'll connect with you. Uh, and I love <laughs> to make introductions. And so LinkedIn makes it very easy to make introductions for people. Uh-huh. And so, and then email Scott at D And yeah. I think there's a link in there too that you can go to my website. At get to know Scott with hyphens between each of those words. There's a summary of a lot of different projects and programs that are involved in, and you might find something that is of interest to you. And also, you can find a way to connect with me on my website. Grab some time on my calendar.
0: I love that. And I'm curious, what does uh, looking dangerous mean to you?
1: (laughs) 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 yeah that's a that's a good question is a definitely judgment item but when you're reaching out to people or when people are reaching out on linkedin sometimes it's an automated response and since i go by my middle name Scott, and i use my first initial d and i have an unusual title i can when i get those messages that say hello d period comma i'm always interested in adding more motivational listeners to my network (laughs) it's <laughs> like, great. How many motivational listeners do you have in your network? Yeah. <laughs> and then you respond back, you know, I'll reply back to those messages and say, and I got one recently that came similar to that. And it said, I'm looking to get connected with people in the furniture business. Well, it's like 10 years since I've been involved in <laughs> the furniture industry. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote back because, of course, it addresses me as D period comma, mm-hmm. I'm interested in connecting with it. I wrote back. I said, you know, it's been a long time since I've been in the furniture industry. But then there was an automated response that came back that said something that obviously didn't read my – and they're like, great, let's schedule some time. You, know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you didn't do this automated. So why would I connect to that person, right? They're not interested in being a part of my extended network. It's uh, another reason why we hate networking events is because we go there, people reach out, uh, hand you a business card, reach out to shake your hand, and what they say is, Oh, hi, I'm Scott, and nice to meet you, Andrew. But what they're really saying is, hi, how can I make money off of you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I see that, that's, that people look dangerous through, uh, It's just going to waste my time.
0: Yes. I no, I, no I, that's I agree that, uh, yeah, I know the automated messages are tricky because, you know, people would say, oh, well, it works great for me because I'm reaching out to 100 people and I get two responses then I close one of them and I make a sale. And it's like, <laughs> or you could be like, Scott, reach out to 10 people, have them all respond, maybe eight of them send you a referral. And it's just it's so much easier that way. But this has been. That's,
1: yeah. that's dangerous, right? I, I yeah. wanted to start the 1440 club. Uh, 1440 is the number of minutes in a day. And anything that you do right, there's no rollover minutes. By the Mm way, right. Mm -hmm. So if you don't use your fourteen forty minutes today, well, actually, you did. You used all of them, but you might not have used them all optimally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, but everything that you do, like respond to spam LinkedIn requests, that is one of your fourteen forty minutes that you didn't do something more productive. But Andrew, thank you for letting me hang out with you. I I just love uh, spending time with you. Uh, We've known each other for a long time and uh, it's just fun to be able to spend time with you,
0: even virtually. (laughs) No, uh, I I love what you said too, about how like virtual relationships can be just as powerful as in person. And lucky for us, we are able to meet in persons from time to time as well. So no so okay. this has been a lot of fun i like to make life fun and say low party people so with that said yeah that concludes today's episode of expert networking and business streams and uh, overall life advice with scott smith and thank you again for coming on today oh my pleasure i'm uh, honored and humbled awesome all right y'all I'll see you next week and uh, thank you again for listening cheers That concludes another episode of Rapid Results. Remember to leave a review about something you learned so others can share the knowledge. Keep being unstoppable in your pursuit of the lifestyle freedom you desire. And we'll see you next week.